On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about what is going to be coming the week of the Grey Cup. There's always a festival, no different this year. Well, a little bit different, but we're going to tell you what you will be able to do and where you'll be able to go and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're also going to be talking about a program that it does sound too good to be true, which always makes me skeptical, but we're going to talk and find out whether in fact it is too good to be true. And Don Robertson joins us as he does every week. For all kinds of stuff, including the discussion about whether Connor McDavid really is the greatest hockey player of all time. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. As you know, as you know, I assume, the Grey Cup will be in Hamilton. First time in 25 years. December the 12th. So just a little less than a month from now. And today, well, last week we learned our Kells were going to be playing the halftime show. And for the record, not the Arkells, Arkells. As I knew, but was reminded by the representative from their music <laughs> company, not the Arkells, Arkells. They're doing the halftime show, but we learned today what the rest of Grey Cup week is going to look like because there is more than a game. I know it's been a long, long time since it's been here, so we may have forgotten that part, but yeah, there's other stuff going on as well. Matt Afinek is the president and COO of the Hamilton Ticats who are hosting this year. He joins us now. Matt, thanks for doing this today. Thank you for having me, Scott. So I I would have to assume that the announcement of what's going on that week is, it's always going to be a big deal when you put out that kind of stuff because you're trying to sort of fire up the excitement level. But with what's gone on this year and the challenges and everything else, I would think that this coming out today is probably a big, big deal to try and get people feeling kind of normal about a Grey Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was a, a gratifying announcement to make. We've obviously been working hard behind the scenes with our, our partners at CFL, our partners at Tourism Hamilton and the city of Hamilton, and obviously our corporate partners to pull all this together. But, uh, you know, yeah, when we announced uh, a few weeks ago that uh, the Grey Cup will return to Hamilton in 2023 for kind of the full festival, we intimated that our built to make a, a fan-friendly fan festival possible here in 2021 to support the game on Sunday. And, Announcing those details today is something I think uh, we've heard uh, early days here that the fans are extremely excited, so we're happy to get that uh, that news out today. And you say the, the fan-friendly thing and, and the COVID in 2021 and all the rest, the, the one thing that strikes me anyway that's very different from usual, because you've had to whittle back, that's natural, we knew that was coming, all the things that are going on this time are all sort of in what we'll describe as controlled settings. There are places where you can do checks and make sure people are vaxxed and all the rest. No big open public events, except for the game. Yeah, correct. And even the game, obviously, is ticketed. Obviously. So, so all events or all festival events, uh, including the game, obviously, uh, require proof of double vaccination, uh, which we're obviously hugely supportive of, safety being first and foremost. But yeah, even to your point of, of some of the free fan events that we announced today, um, the player awards or the fan state of the league with the commissioner, all of those have an RSVP requirement, Scott, so we can just uh, uh, make sure we know who's coming and, and just have you know, kind of some enhanced uh, uh, protocols in place just relative to uh, the, the environment in which we're operating these events, which, as I said, secure or safety is, uh, uh, and health and wellness is the most important factor. You just said something that um, it probably just slid by some people, but I, I actually think this may be one of the coolest things you guys are doing with the CFL. Uh, when the Grey Cup was last held in 2019 in Calgary, it was at least $100, and it was a lot more for some tickets to get into the CFL awards. This year, you guys are doing this for free. Why? 
Well, this league is about its fans, Scott. I think one of the unique things about Canadian football, and certainly something we pride ourselves with uh, at the Tiger Cats, is just our commitment to our fans. We have the greatest fans in any sport. Um, there's zero hesitation and zero doubt in my mind about that. So to find something uh, that is unique to our league and being able to provide access to the players on on what is truly a, a pretty special night for them, not only in the season but in their careers, um, to receive these awards. So to find a way to do that and admit fans free of charge was something the league office and, and ourselves as the hosts were passionate about and we were able to pull together in the end. So it's a, it's a very unique opportunity that will happen at the Hamilton Convention Center on Friday evening, and, and there'll even be a, a kind of post-awards party that fans can hang back for. So uh, this is the first time, as you said, it's being done free of charge, and I just think it's representative of our league and our team's commitment to our fans. I'm, I'm trying to imagine, are you anticipating the fans who sign up? Because you have to sign up for this, uh, and I'll yep. give, let you give the website in a second, but do you anticipate the fans in Hamilton who come out to this are going to be dressed in their tuxes and suits, or do you think this is going to be a Ticat rally? One, one of the great <laughs> parts of Grey Cup Week, Scott, as you know, is uh, the, the dress code for everything is your team's colors, right? And I think that's one of the unique things that arrive in their in their colored gear for whatever team that they cheer for and um, that's no different than uh, what you can expect at the player awards for sure there are there's lots of other things and and give the website and and give a couple things we obviously can't go through everything but for you what are a couple of the highlights that people may want to do um, during that week again there's a lot on the yeah. list so we can't cover them all but what for you what, what's your highlight well my highlight for sure scott and it's greycupfestival.ca fans can go there and, and uh, have a look through the, the the entire slate of events but uh, the two, uh, the East and West social halls. So those are, um, you know, really uh, collections of fans from every CFL team coming together, the Western teams in one room, the Eastern teams, obviously, in another. And and that, to me, is the true magic of Grey Cup. It's this camaraderie spirit amongst. It doesn't really matter what team you cheer for. We all kind of cheer for the league. And that's it, no place is that on better display than in these team rooms where people just celebrate fandom and they celebrate friends that live in other parts of the country that come together uh, for something as unique and uniquely Canadian as Grey Cups. So our ability to deliver those a little bit differently than you would experience in other Grey Cups, but still have those fan team rooms, that's something I look forward to walking in and and, uh, seeing some familiar faces from across the country that are just here to celebrate Grey Cup. And that's what I think I'm for sure looking most forward to. And it's still the Eastern Social Hall, not the Eastern Social Hall minus the Argos who can go hang out somewhere else? <laughs> Spoken like a true Hamiltonian, Scott. <laughs> I appreciate that. And uh, Listen, even Argo fans are welcome. You know this. We, we like to razz each other and, and certainly compete on the field. But uh, when it comes to the spirit of Grey Cup, the spirit of Grey Cup is you don't, it doesn't matter what team you cheer for because at the end of the day, we all cheer for the CFL and for the Grey Cup. You mentioned about people coming from around the country. I don't know if you're able to track, if you, I mean, the CFL probably is, but d- have you been tracking tickets? Do you know with COVID and everything else, are we still expecting the influx from around the country or is this going to be a, a little more local of an event? Well, I definitely think it's leaning a little bit more local um, right now, but that said, Scott, it, in, in having had experience with, with Grey Cups in, in previous years and my time in the league, you know, you really don't see the massive spike um, in, in kind of out-of-market travel to you get closer down, maybe not to exactly identifying who's going to be playing in the game, but you kind of get down to the semifinals and, and obviously the final in each of the divisions, you start to see that pick up. So, you know, we're still four weeks out from the game, um, and, and we know that that will pick up. But listen, I think we're all 
whether it's running gray cups or teams or anything we're dealing with in this environment, I think there's always going to be, um, you know, some complications created by this COVID environment and the implications of it. But right now we're, uh, you know, the Hamilton community has been awesome supporting uh, the game and, and, and tickets to the game. And, and we know they'll do the same for the festival. And we know uh, a good amount of out-of-market out of pa- uh, people will travel in as well. We only have a minute or so left here, but there are still some tickets available for the game. Is that a concern or is that expected? No, absolutely not a concern at all. We sold over over 95% of the tickets to the game, so uh, there's not many left. We encourage people out there uh, that want to come join us uh, that they should do that and uh, and get those quickly. But no, I think you know we're trending exactly like other Grey Cups would, and and uh, you know they haven't had to deal with some of the circumstances here. So we're mm-hmm. thrilled about where the game is. It's going to sell out, and uh, it's just a matter of when. I, last thing, I probably shouldn't ask this one considering what happened on Friday uh, in Toronto, but how important is it or is it important? What impact can it make if the home team is involved in that Great Cup game? Well, listen, I think it'd be disingenuous to say it wouldn't have a profoundly positive impact. Uh, and I say that coming from some experience. We we were unfortunately the visiting team for a home Great Cup in 2013 in Regina and and, uh, you know, there was, there was definitely a different energy to have the local team involved. That said, I think, you know, CFL fans and people in this community that care deeply about the league that have, you know, we didn't have a season last year, so we didn't have a Grey Cup. There seems to be this resounding um, enthusiasm to get back and celebrate it. Um, and, and I don't think that matters what teams are, are specifically in the game. But, yeah, of course, uh, you know, being biased and local and everyone wants the Ticats in the game and, uh you know, everyone's fingers crossed we can earn that right. That is Matt Afanek. He is the COO and president of the Ticats. Uh, again, the website quickly, Matt, that people can go and find all the stuff going Grey on. Cup Festival, GreyCupFestival.ca, Scott. There you go. Take a look. Uh, there will be something to do. And, and as I said to Scott Thompson last hour, there were 70,000 cans of beer consumed at the 2019 Canadian Open in Hamilton. There's a chance that one could be toppled. We'll see. Matt, well, we're still the working on getting the nylons for you to perform. I know that's behind <laughs> your radar of, of things that you'd like to see happen. So now that the Arcals have been uh, confirmed, we can uh, we can get focus our attention solely on the nylons for you, Scott. There you go. Well, you know what? That would push it definitely over the seventy thousand. The drinking would be immense if they were uh, if they were there. <laughs> Matt Affinick, thanks Thank for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on nine hundred CHML. I don't usually on this segment, on this show, do segments on particular companies offering deals. But you may have noticed that it got really chilly on the weekend. We got some snow yesterday. Some of us did anyway. And we've been hearing about how much it's going to cost to heat our homes this winter with fuel prices going up, home heating costs going up. That's what we keep hearing. Big, big, big increases. 30%, some people have said, and what it's going to cost extra. I don't know if that's true or not, but nonetheless, it's going to be a lot. And so this morning I heard about a program, got a press release about it actually, and it sounded like something that a lot of listeners could use. However, in addition to not usually doing segments on companies, I tend to be a skeptic. And so when someone promises something for free, my radar goes up a little bit. So I thought, you know what, let's bring someone on to talk about this and see if it really is legit. Because it sounds pretty good if it is in fact legit. Essentially what it says is, if you are on low income or fixed income, a few other criteria as well, uh, you can get your home winterized and upgrades to insulation and a smart thermostat and all that stuff for free. All right, I will bite. Carrie Morton is the supervisor of affordable housing energy conservation programs with Enbridge Gas. She joins us now. Corey, thanks for doing this today. 
Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me as a guest. So this, you're telling me this is legit. You can get your home done for free. Yes, you have to have uh, income qualification and your home has to be qualified. So those are key. Uh, and then it's free. So the free comes in. Once you're qualified, it's insulation, draft proofing, and a smart thermostat. Um, income qualification, it is either if you receive government assistance, such as allowance for seniors or Ontario disability, you can qualify or there's income ranges. If you're a single person in a home and you have $37,000 income or four people in a home with 73000 you could also income qualify that way. And all that information is on uh, embridgegas.com slash winterproofing. But once that's done, it is, it is free. There's no, no catch and there's no cost. So free is really free. There's not small print. There's not, you're going to have someone come and then it's going to be a few thousand dollars extra for something else. Free is free. Yep. There's no upfront cost to the customer, no backend cost or anything. It's completely free from beginning to end. All right. So again, as I said off the top, I am a skeptic and I hear this and I think, okay, there's got to be a catch somewhere. There's got to be some reason why this is being done. So do the people who get this, do they have to sign up for a long-term deal? No, there's no deal at all. Uh, Enbridge Gas provides this. We feel that everybody should have access to energy-efficient programs, especially those that are could be income-strapped. Um, even seniors, like just because they own their own home doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're a high income. They may not have any pension, and they, they may be living... Um, you know, month by month. So they could even qualify. So we need to get the, the word out to check your income qualification. Um, as far as home qualification goes, usually 1980 or older qualify because at the time the building code had high insulation if it, if it was built later, but that's still not, um, you know, 1980 if you're a little newer than that is not going to cut you off because it depends if your basement is completely insulated or if it was only insulated half. So um, you really have to call our delivery agents and just ask the questions so we can qualify your income and your home. And once we do that, it's, it's free. Okay. So there's no signing up for a deal or for a, a, nope. a, a long-term lease or contract. There's, do they have to pay the higher rates for gas or if there's a lower price, can they get that? Is there any catch there? No, we, nope, there's no catch there whatsoever. There's nothing well, okay. to sign up on. Yep. And there's yeah, no change in your gas rate or anything. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm sure I'm asking the same thing than a lot of the other people would ask. So what is the, what's the upside to Enbridge to do this? Why do this? Because we want people to lower their gas bills. We want them to be comfortable in their home and have access. Like I said, just because you're, uh, have a lower income does does not mean that you shouldn't be able to you know save money and be comfortable so that's why we provide this for free because we know that they just don't have that extra uh, income to spend on energy efficiency there have been now i don't know if it's the same thing there have been home improvement programs grants that have come through different levels of government over the years green or whatever else is this Enbridge applying and sort of paving the way for a government grant that you're receiving that you can then just help people navigate, or is this something different? No, this is completely different. So there is a, a federal program out there, but it um, it's based on incentives up to $5,000. It's not a completely free, and it uh, covers incentives for different uh, measures. 
where this have, is completely have, free. Have many people, is this new or has this been ongoing for a while? So we've actually been delivering the program for years. We've um, served more than 22,000 houses across Ontario. And we believe that there's about 400,000 income qualified people in Ontario that we're trying to reach through, you know, radio stations and, and segments like this um, to see if they income and home qualify. All right, so I'm going to give people a second here to try and grab a piece of paper and a pen if they haven't already, especially if they are. I know we have some people because I hear from them. I know we have people who are on government assistance or on, you know, low income, whatever else. I understand, and that's why I wanted to do this for those people particularly. Uh, but Connie, again, tell me, Corey, pardon me, tell me again, um, where would be the website? Where could someone go if they're interested in this? Where do they find out if they qualify? Yep, it's embridgegas.com slash winterproofing. All right. And it's totally free. It's totally free. Uh, there's <laughs> an online application. Just We just got to qualify that income and your home. And once we know you're in need uh, from your income or that your home is, is chilly and, and drafty, especially now with the weather changing, um, yeah, we, we do all that installation uh, and provide the products for free. I hate to keep asking it because, you know, I, I know you're tired of talking and saying it, but it just, I, you just don't expect that anything is free these days. Yep. Yeah. No, it's true. And like I said, over 22,000 people have been serviced and, and received the insulation and draft proofing for free um, over the last few years. So uh, we're, we're ready and, and willing to do as many people as possible. Corey Morton, Supervisor of the Affordable Housing Energy Conservation Programs with Enbridge Gas. Listen, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, owner, operator of the Dundas Real McCoys, who are going to be back on the ice soon, we hope. Guy runs Calm Choice Realty in Dundas. Dundas is Citizen of the Year in 2014, and we're working on 2021. Call him COVID boy if he wins it this year. I don't know if that works or not. Uh, he joins us now. Don, how are you today? <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, tonight, Don Robertson is uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony. For those who don't know, let me pull up the list of the names here. Who um, uh, Kevin Lowe is going in, former Edmonton Oiler with uh, Wayne Gretzky's era. Doug Wilson, longtime player and now a longtime executive. Jerome McGinley, Marion Hossa. Uh, Kim St. Pierre, Canadian women's team goalie and Edmonton general manager, Ken Holland, all going in. Though there are a lot of people, and this is where the interesting discussions always come. There are a lot of people who are eligible and yet remain on the outside. And I think all the people who got in, I got no beef with any of the people who are going in all excellent players, all excellent, you know, contributors to the game of hockey. Let me give you a list of about 12 names here. And you tell me who is the one who at least one should have been on the list getting in. Pierre Turgeon, Jeremy Roenick, Keith Kachuk, Alexander McGilney, Theo Fleury, Curtis Joseph, John Van Beesbrook, Daniel Alfredson, Boris Mikhailov, Rod Brindamore, Cassie Campbell. McGilney. Why? I think his contribution, I, I like the way he played the game. Um, there isn't anybody bad on that list of 12, but you asked me to pick one, so I did. But, yep. 
like McGillney did the job in different teams and different uh, circumstances, and I think that's important. Um, I think if I had to pick one of those guys, I'd want um, Ronick on my team because I like the way he played. But when you talk about exceptional talent, I would think McGillney would be up there with them. Um, I have a soft spot for Curtis Joseph. It would be nice to see him up there. I'd have to compare his stats to other goalers that uh, have already achieved uh, Hall of Fame status. And we have to recognize as well, Scott, because you know we every time the Hall of Fame comes out, it creates controversy and conversation. And uh, I concur with your comments. I don't see any issue with any of the inductees for this year. Uh, I could take a case that some of the people that have gone in in the last 20 years perhaps aren't as deserving as I think they should be. And you look at, they always seem to want to um, uh, draw comparisons to, you know, people in there that have been in there for a number of years back when they only played 60 games and didn't play as much. So they're different areas. So I think they do a pretty good job of bringing them in. What do you think about, and I look, I'm not going to disagree with Roenick. I'm not going to disagree with McGillney. I think McGillney was amazing. And I mean, a lot of Leaf fans, we were lucky around here because he played with the Sabres. So we saw a lot of him and then played with Toronto and saw a lot of him. And he was great both places. Curtis Joseph, I think, again, a lot of people, a lot of people forget with Curtis Joseph. Um, he was a weird hockey player. Because when he was on a bad team, he was amazing. When he got 55, 60 shots a game, he was amazing. Even on a bad team, if he was on a team that just was porous defensively and gave up a ton of shots, he was great. If you give him 15 or 20 shots on that, he'd probably let in five of them. But he, you give him work and you just, we saw him how many times with the Leafs when they didn't have much of a defense and he was just unbelievable. Yeah, and those teams generally speaking, don't have a lot of success. And to to draw the analogy of Cujo and the way he played, and I agree with what you've said, it's like having a high-scoring guy that does really well, like I don't want to take anything away, away from Marcel Dion, but, you know, he got a lot of points on a bad team. Now, I don't know what his plus-minus was like, but when you don't have a lot of talent, so you get lots of extra ice time, you get lots of power play time, does that mean you would be that good on a Stanley, Stanley Cup uh, contender? Maybe not. So it's kind of a, when you talk about Cujo, and I agree, you can look at some other guys that really racked up points on bad teams, but it may in fact be because there wasn't a whole lot of alternatives for the coach to go to, and you got to feed him if you want any chance of not getting blown out every night. So it's, it's always an interesting dynamic, and there, he's not the only goalie to be like that, but he... He sure was good when he got peppered. There are a couple of guys on this list, uh, really interesting positions. John Van Beesbrook got in trouble a number of years ago for some comments that he made. Uh, Theo Fleury is on Twitter all the time now making comments uh, from a political perspective. Do you think that those kind of things impact on voters because we don't know with the Hockey Hall of Fame. We don't know who's nominated. We don't know who's voting. We don't know, or we know who's voting. We don't know who gets votes. But do you think that stuff off the ice affects the likelihood or the chances of someone getting in? I think it always has. 
Um, I, 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 now that said, back in the days when the guys were on trains and uh, the term "a thousand untold stories" was there, and the the newspaper uh, reporters would travel with the teams and perhaps partake with them, and so on, would turn a blind eye. So I think the off ice activities back then were weren't as uh, front and foremost. But now with Twitter, when you talk about you know Theo Fleury putting himself out there, it's a different it's a different measuring stick, quite frankly, because guys can get themselves in some trouble. In the old days, you could do a lot of things that today would be catastrophes, and nobody knew about them in the old days. So it's a different level. But yeah, I to answer your question, I think. Uh, more specifically, is guys like Theo Fleury are very outspoken, and that that may in fact hurt him. That what about said, the- he's been el- he's been eligible for a few years before he got really active on Twitter, though. That's true. That's true. What about the idea? This is always one of the huge conundra for the Hall of Fame, especially the Hockey Hall of Fame, because hockey, unlike say baseball with Cooperstown as much, or unlike. Um, Canton with the football, NFL Hall of Fame, whatever. Um, hockey has been not only an international game, a world game, but you've had leagues around the world. Like the, the, in, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, it's primarily Major League Baseball players. And then if you go back far enough, you'll get a few people from early pro leagues or the Negro leagues, but not, it's generally Major League Baseball. Boris, Mihail- Boris Mikhailov, the uh, the Soviet superstar from the 1972 series, never played in the NHL, but every time that the Soviets played, he was dominant. I mean, that first time in 1972, for those old enough to remember that series, that guy was, you know, the, the Russian players were, so many of them, small and fast and frittered around the ice and did all. He was a beast. Like, he was a giant guy who you know, was just a dominant player. What about those international players? How much should they get, even though they never played in the NHL? I mean, I think if you want to be a true Hockey Hall of Fame, you have to include them. I forget the guy's name, and I should remember talking about stuff rattling around earlier. Uh, The coach for the Soviet Union, who probably won 15 world championships. Victor Tikhanov. There you go. I can see him standing on the bench. Like, how he is not in the Hall of Fame, if it's a true Hockey Hall of Fame, I don't know. The other interesting thing about the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I I stand to be corrected, but I don't believe any other, I don't NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, have women who are members of their Hall of Fame. So you can't say the Hockey Hall of Fame doesn't open up and isn't inclusive. And um, the other thing, too, is that the Hockey Hall of Fame doesn't do a whole lot of is recognize um, OHL coaches, uh, NCAA coaches, and so on. Because there's some tremendous accomplishments at those levels, whether guys chose to go to the NHL and didn't find the same success because, you know, your time frame's tightened up pretty good. But there's some pretty accomplished coaches that have played at that level. And, uh, but again, I, I'll ask you because you know more about this than I do. Uh, are there women in the major league baseball, NFL, NBA hall of fames? I think Not, hockey may be the only one that recognizes women. I think so. I, I, someone can correct me on that. I think it is. And 
So what I find interesting about the, your argument about the OHL is a really interesting one, not so much for players, because if you look at the streams, right, if you're a guy coming up in hockey and you only get to the OHL, it's hard to say you're one of the all-time greats because you had the opportunity to follow that path to the NHL and play. And so for women in hockey, they obviously don't have that. Well, they do, I suppose, have that opportunity, but it's not really realistic. So they, you can only compare the women in the, to women in the women's game and pick who were the greatest from there. I have no issue with that. That's a, that's a good thing. And the year and the, for the longest time, and again, Boris Mihailov, the, 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 for the longest time, those players couldn't come over to the NHL, but internationally they were the greatest. You had three very distinct streams. So I don't mind. I think it's a good thing to pick from each of those, but you're right. I don't think, uh, and again, there might be someone in management or something else in the Canton in, in the NFL, the pro football hall of fame or in the, uh, Cooperstown, but I don't know who they are. Nothing comes to mind. When, when you talk about the OHL, I mean, Brian Kilray had, a, and I'm starting to scratch my head and wonder if he's in the hall of fame. Uh, but guys like him are, were true legends in the OHL. Larry Maverty, Burt Templeton, who won a Memorial Cup with the Hamilton Finn Cups in 1976, talking about things you don't need to remember. Uh, there are all kinds of people. Red Berenson, who was a great player with the St. Louis Blues, was a tremendous NCAA coach. And uh, so I think, you know, I mean, as much as they're inclusive with uh, – women's hockey i don't know if they step outside that national hockey league too much i mean you could make an argument that dave andrews who won with brad Mullers, with a had a bunch of guys that ended up playing with the real mccoys playing for him um was was a real builder um and was the american hockey league commissioner as you know for Decades, a pretty good contribution. Hope I'm not talking off the top of my head and Dave isn't in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he is. And so you got to, you know, if if you're going to put builders in and it's the Hockey Hall of Fame, you should look around at some builders that uh, have done yeah, tremendous I'm- work. I mean, they they did it with Murray Costello, who was the president of the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association, which turned into Hockey Canada for a number of years. So so they've gone off the rails a little bit. But those guys are all guys like uh, Murray Costello gave guys that uh, an opportunity to run the Olympic teams and everything else. So the NHL guys kind of know them. Yeah, so, and Brian Kilray, by the way, Brian Kilray is in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and it's and and for those who don't know, Brian Kilray, longtime OHL coach, all kinds of records for winning. And again, that part I I don't disagree with you. I mean, when I said about the streams, and you're a player, you can move on and go to the NHL. There are guys, I'm sure Brian Kilray had opportunities to become a pro head coach and in the NHL. I, I think he coached I think he coached in the Islanders system. He was either head coach or assistant coach with the Islanders and then came back. Dick so, Todd's another one in Peterborough. So I, I've got no yeah, beef with the, with coaches or those people yeah. from lower levels. It's yeah. the players. I don't think you can I don't think you could say Joe Schmo was no. a record-setting player in the OHL. Therefore, he deserves to be in the in the Pro Hockey Hall of Fame, but or in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But coaches and managers and stuff, for sure. I agree. I thought I, when I said it, I thought Killer might have been recognized a few years ago because I remember Don Cherry talking about it. Well, okay, so we got 
we have two minutes left here and you just touched on the other one that I wanted to mention. I know that, you know, Don Cherry, things did not end all that well. And people now say that, you know, bad things about all the rest. I still say, how is Don Cherry not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? A disgrace that he's not. I mean, he was the face of Hockey Night in Canada for over a decade. Um, I Many decades. Well, yeah. I, I don't get it. I it, Especially in the broadcasting part of it. I mean, forget about his coaching. He was coach of the year in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Legend, legendary American. But he should be, you know, if uh, no disrespect to Joe Bowen, but if Joe Bowen's in and Don Cherry's not. Don, who in, so in broadcasting in the NHL, there might be, in hockey, there might be five people, maybe, who you could point to in the broadcast, in the, in the, in that wing, anybody, anybody in hockey history, there might be five people who were more well-known than Don Cherry brought more people watching TVs than Don Cherry on Saturday night, did all those kind of things there might, and you'd be pressing it, I think, to come up with five that are ahead of him as far as people who were impactful on the broadcast world with hockey. I think you'd be hard pressed to find five. And yet, you know, for whatever reason, and, and I'm convinced they will eventually, they'll just wait for him to die, which stinks. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's so unfortunate, but he'll, he'll eventually get in there and people will, some people will scream and shout and say, oh, he's this or he's that. It, you can't argue what he did and the impact that he had and the number of people who watched and the, the, the conversations that he started through his broadcast. June, um, first of all, I can't think of anybody in Canada that's been more recognizable or impactful. And remember, Foster I Hewitt. remember Foster. Yeah, well, Foster I remember Hewitt. Foster Hewitt. Um, so, and he's in. So there might not, there, there sure isn't five guys that aren't in that are as recognizable as Don Cherry. That's for sure. One of the reasons they might be waiting for him to uh, kick the bucket is they're scared of what he's going to say. You know, Maybe I, that there, there's that that's probably fair, and maybe because as I say, with the Hockey Hall of Fame, we know who the voters are, but we don't know if anyone's ever been nominated. We don't know if this if they get votes. I wonder if Don Cherry has offended or ticked off or criticized some of the people because it's not open. We don't know, and you know. Uh, anyway, I just Don Cherry I, should be I in can, the Hockey Hall of Fame. I know we're out of time. I can nominate you into the media wing. All you have to do is send a nomination. You can nominate anybody. That's maybe what we I should told. do that. Maybe you should do that next year, Don. That's your project. I will. I'll get on it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, one of the, what I would consider one of the most ludicrous series of social media tweets, well, tweets, not social media tweets, of tweets, has been getting some traction lately, it seems, because there's an awful lot of them. Uh, Connor McDavid has had a spectacular start to the season. That goal he scored against the Rangers, one on four, was ridiculous. Anyway, there seems to now be this movement afoot among some people to argue that Connor McDavid is the greatest hockey player ever because he plays in a time when goal scoring is way harder than it ever was for Lemieux or Richard or Orr or any of those other people or Gretzky 
And therefore, Connor McDavid is simply, we're watching the greatest player of all time. Agree or disagree? Well, I disagree. We're, we may well be watching, I think we clearly are, the best player of this time. That's an interesting category. And I would suggest to you that a lot of people that are on social media are of this time more than they were in the, back in the olden days when Wayne Gretzky played and Mario Lemieux and Bobby Orr played. But I think we have to leave some time. I mentioned earlier, when we talked about the Hall of Fame, there are different eras, right? And I didn't check today, but isn't his teammate ahead of him or neck and neck with him um, in points and in goals and so on? And if you yes. want to talk about the greatest player of all time, you got a, you got 64-year-old Alex Ovechkin, who's probably going to score 40 again this year. So... McDavid is spectacular. He is a human highlight reel. But I don't know if he is the best of all time today. I mean, look, I, I've you and I may have talked about this. To me, the only... You, you can't compare era to era. It's impossible because of all kinds of different things. I mean, when Gretzky played, unquestionably, the goalies were nowhere near as good as they are now. And it was more wide open, although there was a lot more hooking and grabbing and clutching and all that kind of stuff. So there was trade-offs all the way around. But the one thing you can compare is not era to era. It's how did you compare to your contemporaries? And I think that's what you were getting at because Connor McDavid is, I mean, he's, he's spectacular, but there's other guys who are reasonably close to him in point totals. When Gretzky played at his best, there was no one within a mile of him. And you can only compare guys to the people they played against. And so you can say that it was easy to score when Gretzky did. But if that's the case, if it was that easy, why did no one else get 200 points? Well, one, you're right. You have to compare apples to apples and errors to errors. And, you, of course, we've talked about it because we talk about it all the time. When you talk about Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, we talked about I did earlier about numbers. But Wayne Gretzky won the scoring championship one year and had more assists than the guy in second had points. Now, you don't have to be able to answer your quiz question tonight to know that's a pretty phenomenal feat. And when Connor McDavid or somebody else does something that spectacular, then we'll put them in the equation with Gretzky. The other conversation you can have is Bobby Orr as a defenseman led the National Hockey League in scoring. When somebody else does that, we'll enter them into that conversation as the most gifted offensive defenseman to ever play the game, or offensive defenseman to ever play the game. So when you put it in that context, then tell the people on social media to look at that and then revisit what they said. Because it's, today's social media, Scott, you're on it, it's just, what have you done for me lately? And it's worse now than it was 10 years ago. It's, it's silly. And I love watching Connor McDavid. I love the fact that Connor McDavid's first OHL training camp was at Morgan Firestone, Morgan Firestone Arena in Ancaster. And the Ancaster people were the first people to ever see him play in the OHL. That makes it pretty close to home for a lot of us. But, you know, I'm not convinced that we should anoint him as the greatest hockey player to ever live on the planet yet. 
Well, again, comparison wise. So in 1981-82, just by comparison, Mark Messier scored 50 goals. Rick Vive scored 54 goals. Blaine Stoughton scored 52 goals. Rick Middleton scored 51 goals. Uh, Dino Cicerelli scored 55. Marcel Dion scored 50. Brian Trotche scored 50. Dennis Marouk had 60. Mike Bossy had 64. There was a lot of goals being scored then. There's a lot of guys that got 50 goals or even two that got 60 goals. Wayne Gretzky had 92. I mean, the, so he had 28 goals more than second place. And you're talking 28 more than a guy who was setting almost record numbers of goals that were being scored. It's just, and that's not, again, you're not even talking about assists. The next year he so? had 90 more points than second place. It's insanity. And as you said, the goaltending perhaps wasn't as good back then, but nobody did what Gretzky did. Nobody. I'm not. I'm not convinced. And, and you being an old goaler, and, and I mean old. Um, well, when you call I me a goaler, I am. <laughs> when I, I'm not sure when you when you talk about their abilities as much as we. You should also include that they wore Eaton's catalogs for goal pads. I mean, these guys are armored guards now. I mean, the stuff they wear. I mean, if you put uh, R.I.P. Uh, Tony Esposito and some of those get-ups and look at how big uh, Dryden was, you bulk him up like that, you don't even see the net. So the errors are different. The equipment's different. Let's just take it for what it is and enjoy it for what we have. Yeah, and, and one other comparison, which I just find amazing. Yari Curry is considered one of the all-time great triggermen, played wing with Gretzky, and so he was, you know, he's considered one of the all-time great scorers. The next year, from what I just said, or two years later, he had 71 goals. 71 goals, and Gretzky still beat him, had 73. Plus 135 <laughs> assists. I mean, it's, it's lunacy. And the idea that anyone could argue with any kind, to my mind, with any kind of... Um, you know, realistic, credible view, credible position that Connor McDavid is better than Wayne Gretzky. Um, you know, I mean, look, that's not taking anything away from Connor McDavid. It's, I, I just feel very fortunate that I was alive and young and still, um, still young enough that I could be sort of, I don't want to say hero worshiping, but young enough that it really mattered that when I was that age, that's when Gretzky came along. That I could fully appreciate that, not as a cynical adult, as a kid watching hockey, playing hockey, and seeing him play. I just feel I feel very lucky that that was the era that I got to watch him. It's and it's okay. It's okay to be the best in your era. That's what I say. I think you can make the argument that he is. I mean, there was always conversations. Is Sidney Crosby going to be as good as Wayne Gretzky? I My comments are, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I mean, can you imagine, and there's lots of people that were the second best player in Wayne Gretzky's era. You know, they, how good would they be without Gretzky around? Like, uh, well, I'm not sure that, um, oh, who's the winger you just mentioned to play for, with Gretzky? Yari Curry? Um, Curry, yeah. I was thinking of Dan Curry from Play for Us. Mm. Uh, Yari Curry. Uh, not sure he would have scored that many goals not playing Wayne Gretzky. But outside of that, look at the amazing talent that was in that era. Uh, 
I mean, it was a pretty good era. Yep, absolutely. And Dan Curry, by the way, we got to run. Dan Curry, who you mentioned from this area, uh, played on a line with Gretzky and Curry. It was Curry, Curry, and Gretzky. It was like a law firm in Los Angeles for a while. Well, Curdog went to L.A. in the big trade. Curdog. He was traded. With, right. He was. He was. Uh, sorry, Dan Curry <laughs> went with went with Wayne Gretzky to L.A. in the big trade. Yep. There you go. And got to play with. As I say, that was that was a line. If if you if you get to play back then when he was at his peak, if you got to play on a line with Wayne Gretzky, all you saw was your bank account getting bigger. Because when it came time to renegotiate, um, well, I assume. On the other hand, they could always just say, look, we can put Dave Semenko with Gretzky and he gets 30 goals, so shut up and take whatever money we give you. So I just I just quickly looked. Dreisaitl has more points than Connor McDavid right now. So yeah. tell him to stop it. Tell social it's... media to stop it. And, and uh, Greybeard Ovechkin's uh, one point behind him, so... I think Mitch Marner is the greatest hockey player ever to live. We'll take a break. Ponder that. (laughs) Ponder that quickly. I kid, by the way. I kid. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, I got to ask you quickly, because you've been a coach and involved with sports for a long, long time. Hamilton Tiger Cats going to Toronto on Friday, a game they have to win to get first place in the East, have to win to get a bye, have to win to get first uh, to get a home field advantage, and they absolutely wet the bed. How what happens with athletes sometimes when a moment like that you absolutely stink the joint out as opposed to rising to the occasion? I don't know, and if I did know, I probably would be talking to you every once in a while as a guest because of the coaching in the NHL. Um, but I can tell you, I think it's contagious, and I don't know why. Sometimes when guys come out and they're all fired up and away they go, it's contagious. Sometimes when they come out flat, it's equally contagious. I mean, it was a big game. They knew it gave them a bye into the finals. They knew it gave them home field advantage. And when you come out and wet the bed like that, I, I, I don't put it on the coaches because the coaches prepare them properly for every game. And I think it comes down to execution, and I think it comes down to the players. You, Coach O, shouldn't, had, had, shouldn't have had to do one thing to motivate that group to buy home field advantage because home field advantage means you win a couple games and you're playing in the in the in the Grey Cup in your hometown. I mean, pack that into the suitcase. The the Grey Cup is in Hamilton. How much more motivation do you want? Was uh, I'm sure disappointing to many. Yeah, I just I, I, as I say, it's it's an interesting psychological thing that I that you know I'm sure sports psychologists have studied this for years and years. I just. I fail to understand in those moments, and it doesn't. It's not just the tie cats, and it wasn't just this one game. Uh, obviously, no, not at all. Not at all. It happens, and yet it's such a weird thing because you would think you would be so pumped for that game, and you'd be so ready to go, and you'd be so whatever, and then just you know, nothing, nothing. I'll, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's equally as odd, Scott, is you see the first half of the game. And your team is flat, and you know it. And we've all seen teams come out for whether it's the second half, the third period, the fourth quarter, uh, more in basketball, 
and just light it up. And you go, where were these guys for the first half? Exactly, exactly. And they're on fire, and that's equally unexplainable. But that's yeah. why we play the games. Don Robertson, thank you for your time. As always, this Monday evening, always appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Have a good night. Have enjoy your week. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.